This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We're back with Buckeye Talk. We're going to talk some Ohio State basketball. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis from cleveland.com slash OSU. Go find us there. Let's get right to it. Bill. Is the Ohio State basketball team in crisis? Uh, no. No. Uh, close? Maybe. Close? Close. I think they're close. How close? All right. Let's do a percentage. They are what percentage toward a crisis? Let's get our number in our head. Let's get our number in our head. And we each come up with a number and then tell me when you have the number. I don't have. That's a tough question. Um, you said close. Close. I'll. I'll say. Okay. I have a number in my head. I have a number. You go with your number first. Seventy percent. Seventy percent. Okay. I say forty percent. Oh God, I'm way close. I think I'm. I'm too close to it. That's what it is. You're too close. You live it every yeah. day. Yeah. I actually have not gone to a game yet this year, <laughs> so I'm just like sitting here on my couch, being like, "They're not in crisis. It's all good." Um, they're zero three to start the Big Ten. That's what we're here to talk about. They play Wisconsin at Wisconsin on Thursday, home Michigan State on Sunday. The Big Ten is not – they don't have like a super team, but they have a lot of solid teams. That's like the narrative for the Big Ten this year, which I've seen some people disagree with. Um, yeah. That because not, they disagree with it what? That there is a super team or that there aren't solid teams? That's not that good. Uh, no, I think people thought that like Wisconsin was the one that was up ahead of everybody, but then Wisconsin just lost to Purdue. So I, th- I think the most correct assessment of the Big Ten is that there are like 10 pretty solid teams at least, maybe more than that, and that's more so than there have been in the past. Okay, so but he- here's what I would think – from my couch while you're there living it every day. Ohio State's 0-3 in the Big Ten. Two of the losses are on the road. One of them to a, a good was uh, a good Minnesota team that's ranked. One loss at home to Purdue, a one-possession game that could have gone either way, that they almost probably should have won, and I think Purdue... Missed a free throw. Trevor Thompson missed a free throw that would have put him up by one with five seconds left. We both like Purdue. Yeah, I liked Purdue a lot last year. I had them going to like the Elite Eight, and they lost in the first round to Arkansas Little Rock. So we like Purdue. So if you're starting the Big Ten season, you have two road losses and a one possession home loss to a top twenty team. I don't. I don't see crisis there. I see not a great start. Let's see what happens. I'm going to give them at least until halfway through the Big Ten season. What What's your seventy percent of the crisis off an zero and three Big Ten start? And, you know, the, the Virginia loss, the one bad loss to Florida Atlantic in the non-conference. What's, why are you 70% of the way there? Because I think it's less about the result and more about how they happened. Um, it was important, I think, and you wrote this column, I believe, before the season, that, that Thad Mata had to show that something was different with this team compared certainly to last year and, and even the year before that um, when they had – it was D'Angelo Russell's year, right, two years ago? Um when they weren't great, but they had D'Angelo Russell, so like he made a team worth watching, and they still won some games, even though they lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, last year was a disaster. 
they missed the tournament. They played poorly for the majority of the season and never won a big game. And then 90% of their freshman class, which was highly touted, transferred. So this year had to be different. And I think you can make the argument that this isn't much different. Um, they're, they're still making a lot of the same mental mistakes that they made last year that cost them games. Um, if you want to use the fact that they were in games with Virginia and, and Purdue and to a certain extent UCLA is, is marks of improvement, I guess you could do that and try to spin it in a positive way. But there's been a lot of things with the way this team's been playing that are similar to last year. And I think if... It was happening in a vacuum, and they were just 0-3 in Big Ten play, and the Big Ten's better, and they had a rough start to the schedule in terms of how it set up. That's one thing for it to happen coming off of what last year was, and for them to have a lot of the same issues they had as a team last year on the floor. Uh, I think that is what's alarming for a lot of fans and why I'm at a 70, which is probably high, but why I'm on high alert for them being near crisis mode. But I think some people are definitely higher than 70. Some people are at 100 and have been at 100 for the last two and a half years. Um, what do you think, let's do another percentage since that went so well. I'm not going to give mine because I don't really know what I'm talking about. What is your percentage of how they have played compared to what you think their ceiling is? Of how good they can be when, when what you think it would look like when they've been their best. Because the, the, the one thing, I mean, they, they have the close loss at Virginia and Virginia's really good. They have the close mm-hmm. Purdue loss. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give up on a team because they lose a game here or there that they quote shouldn't win. The weird thing is about this team, like you said, for two years they haven't won a game that they shouldn't win, for lack of a better phrasing. Yeah. You know, they haven't had a good upset of a top twenty five team. And like I'm still assuming that they're gonna have some chances and like that's gonna come and I'm not expecting them necessarily to win at Wisconsin, but maybe they'll come home and beat Michigan State. Which I don't even know if Michigan State would be ranked, but it's a good, no. would be a good solid win. Yes. Right. I'm assuming still those things are going to come. And I, I'm going to assume that part of what has happened is some Murphy's Law stuff, some everything that has gone wrong could go wrong. Some they've never had a lucky bounce in a tight game that they got away with something. Like it feels like they've been held accountable for a, a lot of the thing. They do something wrong and it kills them. Yeah, that happens a lot. Thad Mata talks about that. I'm, I'm sure – I've only covered Thad Mata now for three years, but I get the sense that that's something he talks about a lot. It's like a guy hits a shot, and he's sort of only against us that they hit that shot. Oh, he loves to yeah. say that. His whole thing is like uh, no, nobody in history has ever hit like a fadeaway three-pointer with the shot clock with one second left except against Ohio State in yep. his mind. And like it happens, but like it also happens. It happened against Minnesota the other night. Guy hit a crazy three late in the shot clock when it was a close game. might have been a three-point game or a four-point game in, in the final five minutes. And he had a crazy three that he kind of had no business hitting, but he also was wide open because Ohio State didn't close out well enough on a guy who was doing nothing but chucking threes all game. So um, a lot of it's self-inflicted, I think. And I think it's you look for those things when you're playing poorly. Um, but that, in my mind, is not its not really an excuse anymore. You can't use that as an excuse for two and a half years. It happens to everybody. If it happens to Ohio State more than it happens to other teams, Sucks to be you, I guess, but you have to be better. That can't be the only reason you're losing these games. Let, let, let me ask you this, though. <clears throat> I'm going to be the excuse maker. You be the reality guy. Okay. Let's let's look the last two seasons because the season before was the D'Angelo Russell season. They won a game in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. There was a weird dynamic on that team, too, where you had like seniors who hadn't done much who were forced to play 
second fiddle to a freshman star, and that's always, I think, a little tough. But I'm not, I'm not going to take a season where they made the tournament and won a game in the tournament as like the beginning of the end. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that to okay. me, they had a guy who was the number two pick in the draft as a fresh after his freshman year, and they won a game in the tournament. So like that's still, I think, under the classification of good year, not great year. But I mean, like you know, you're one win away from the Sweet 16, and you had a superstar. So like, you know, you don't really get to complain about that. So I'm looking last year when they missed the tournament, and this year, have they had a game? Here's here's my question. Jaquan Lyle gets the ball with five seconds left, and Ohio State down two against Purdue, and has to dribble. You know, they inbound. He dribbles the length of the court. Mm-hmm. He could have come up a little faster than he did. Yeah, people were talking about sometimes teams in that situation get a better shot. Five seconds is actually a decent amount of time. He ended up getting a decent look at a three, and he missed it. He could have made that. Like it would. It, he wasn't yeah. even in a half court shot. He also had enough time to maybe get to the rim too, which is where he's at his best. But if that let's say that shot, it would not have been. I mean, it, say that shot had a thirty percent chance of going in. When's a, have they had a game like that? When's the last time they hit a shot like that and got a win like that? Hasn't happened. Like, and they've played some close games along the way, and you would know the the list of them better than I would. But it feels like when they were going at their best, and maybe maybe it's the, because great teams and great players find a way to win. Finding a way to win is a real thing. But, like, Evan Turner hit those shots. You know? Mm-hmm. Jaquan Lyle missed it. Now, you know, I mean, he, he got off a decent look and he missed it. If he makes that shot, it's three inches in one game on one shot. If he makes that shot, nobody thinks this team is in crisis. So that's that's sort of what I'm curious about. Like, how how close are they? Or do you really think they're still pretty far away? And, and so then what's your percentage of how good they are right now compared to you, how good you think they can be. I think they're kind of close close to as good as they can be, and maybe I'm off on that, but I don't see – like the, the I think you saw Ohio State's best maybe at Virginia in the first – they were up 18 points on Virginia in the first half on the road in the best road environment I've ever been in uh, for college basketball um, at Virginia was awesome. And Ohio State was a better team for the first – 16 minutes of that game were up by 18 points. Um, so it's they have that in them, and they look they've looked good in all these losses. They've looked good, and at stretches, I think looked looked like the better team. So I don't think they're that far off from being their best. The thing that hurts them is that Kate Bates the opts out for the year, um, and he was an important. He is an important player. He's a best defender. I don't think that's up for dispute. And I don't think it's close. Um, and when he gets going, he's really tough to stop offensively because he's long and he can shoot from the outside and get into the lane. So they're handicapped by that, and that's going to keep them from ever reaching their poten- full potential this season. It's just not going to happen. So I would say maybe they're at like around 70, 75% maybe again of what they could be. Maybe it's a little lower in the 60s. Um, but I don't think they can ever get maybe above an 80 if Kate Bates D-Up's not playing. But at 80%, I think they're still a pretty good basketball team and one of the better teams in the Big Ten because it's not a great year, like we said, for the Big Ten. What is How big is the pass they get for Kate Bates D-Up being out for the year? Whatever happens this year, and if it really goes south, you know people are going to be questioning Thad Mata's job status. How put that in the context of like how big a deal is that? Is it teams have injuries? Stuff happens. You got to be able to fill the gap, or is that like devastating? Uh, a little bit of both. It's like they lost a starter, and that's a real deal. Um, 
but they don't have the bodies on the roster to make up for it, I would argue. Like, Andre Wesson is going to have to play some um, extended minutes as a true freshman, and he just doesn't look quite ready to take on that role to me. So it's like they, they had a short rotation to begin with, and they lost Katie Bates D up. That hurts, and that's going to have a tangible effect on the team, but you can flip it and say that he also, that model also hasn't recruited well enough to make his team capable of sustaining that kind of hit. And I think teams deal with injuries all the time. Michigan State's gone through it this year. They lost Miles Bridges, I think, for a stretch and uh, have not had a good season. But I think that the, their depth of talent at Ohio State is probably not quite where it should be, again, compared to what Thad Mata has done in the past, which is like the the, the thing that hovers over all this. We're comparing Thad Mata to himself. But they lose K to Bates up is a huge loss, but I think they should have better players on the roster to be able to make up for it, and I don't think they have it. How big picture are we going here? Like, are we... we... We have a whole basketball season in front of us. So right. Should we? Should I narrow us down? Yeah, I, I think I think it's easy okay. to kind of run away with it a little bit. There's a lot of a lot of Big Ten season left. Okay, so let's play this game then. This feels like a game that people on a podcast would play, and that uh, listeners would find enjoyable. Get ready to find this enjoyable. They're zero and three in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. They play eighteen Big Ten games. Correct. Yes. Let's play a game called "What They'll Be at the Halfway Point." Okay. Because I'm going to give them at least into the halfway point before I get close to crisis mode. Because I'm going to think if they are 0 and 9, I'm going to think, well, they can still be 9 and 9. Um, All right. Here's the game. Ready? Uh At Wisconsin, win or loss? Uh, Loss. Home against Michigan State? I think they can win that game. So I'll call it a win. At Nebraska? Win. Home against Northwestern? It should be a win. Northwestern's better, but I'll say win. Home against Minnesota. Minnesota's good. I'll say loss. At Iowa. Uh, I'll say loss there because I think you have to factor in some funky Big Ten road losses. All right. That's three and six at the halfway point. Through the first nine games. They're 0 and 3. You have them going 3 and 3 in their next six. I would think that at Wisconsin is going to be tough. So then you're going to be 0 and 4. Yeah. But then. Three home games, Michigan State, Northwestern, Minnesota, and then at Nebraska, at Iowa. They're all winnable. That's, that's, that's not too much to ask to win four out of those five. No, it's not. And I, I definitely shaded on the d- darker side of things there a little bit. I think all those games are winnable. With the exception of Wisconsin, every game you listed is, is definitely a game Ohio State can win. So if we think that you – so that's – should is it fair to set they should be four and five at the midway point? Yeah. I will officially fair. get closer to crisis mode if they're under if they're less than four. If they're and less five. than four or five after nine games. Because that also could be two and seven. Yeah. Like without like it's like okay, well Northwestern's decent. And they beat you at your place, and all of a sudden you lose all the road games and this and that, and then boom. You know, well, that's like, the thing that I that I wrote about. I think it was before it was right after they lost to Illinois before they played Purdue. It was like. Their schedule is tough because all these teams are similar, and it won't take much for Ohio State to be zero and five. Because right now they're 0-3, and winning at Wisconsin is tough. Plus, you're playing a Wisconsin team coming off a loss to Purdue. It's going to be an angry Wisconsin team um, and a tough place to play. And I don't even know the last time Ohio State's beat Wisconsin. They didn't beat them last year, and I don't think they beat them the year before. Um, And then Michigan State is not as good as it's been in the past because they're young. But, again, it's a team that's probably on paper more talented than Ohio State's and on the right night can definitely beat Ohio State regardless of where they're playing. So it won't take much to go 0-5 in Big Ten play, which sort of highlights the fact that this team has mental inconsistencies and, like, crazy turnovers. You don't even know what they're thinking sometimes. And it's like, in this Big Ten setting, you just can't live that way because 
you're going to start 0-5, 0-6 in Big Ten play, and it's not going to be that difficult. So you were there when they lost um, at home to Purdue, 76-75. We have not podcasted on hoops since then. Mm -mm. You've written about it. What was your take on how emotional the team was after that loss? Because you sort of described that scene on Twitter. If you can describe it again a little bit for the loyal podcast listeners. But did you take it as, boy, this team cares. Their hearts are on their sleeve. They're trying so hard. You love that kind of visible emotion? Or did you feel like it's more like this is a fragile team on the edge. They're falling apart. Um, It was the former before the Minnesota game. I thought it was a good thing. I thought that they were engaged and really have been all year, certainly more than last year. Um, And they were upset. They were mad because they let a game get away. They were mad because they've let games get away over the last two years. And I thought that, you know what, that's that's a good thing. You lost a tough game to a ranked team. Granted, you were at home, but you played well and you put yourself in a position to win and you just lost because you missed a last-second shot, whatever. But then they had an awful, awful, awful start at Minnesota the next game which then made me flip it and think that maybe they're a little fragile um, in the sense that it's this whole thing of them not being able to win a big game, people thinking that the program is trending in a downward direction and that they're the cause for it might be weighing on them a little bit. There are guys who need a vibe for some. Jay Sean Tate in particular is a guy who is very aware of sort of the state of the program and what people think and what people think of the current roster makeup. And I think feels some sort of onus that that not he individually needs to turn it around, but they as a group need to turn it around. And I think there's some pressure now that's starting to come with that. And I wonder if that's what affected them in that early portion of the Minnesota game because they looked awful and they went into an 18-point hole before the midway point of the first half. And even though they played so well after that, it didn't matter because they were just in too big of a hole and they lost. And that's the kind of things you can't do. And it's the thing we've been saying about this team forever, or not forever, but for the last two years is, they have these stretches, whether it's beginning of the game, beginning of the second half, middle of the first half, whatever. There are prolonged stretches where they just play poorly, they don't make shots, and they play bad defense, and they turn the ball over, and they get into a hole that they can't dig themselves out of. And that's why they haven't won a big game in two years. What are we to make of Mark Loving at this point? The lone senior on the team. He tweeted something about – I guess I could get the tweet and be an actual person. But it was something oh, yeah. basically like, if, if you don't believe in us, then we don't need you kind of thing. It's like we're moving on with or without you or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was one of the guys who was really upset post-game, right? Yes. What are we – I mean, he is who he is. He's a guy – Here's the tweet. This team will keep fighting to win with or without your support, period, which is what you tweet right after. He hasn't tweeted since retweeting Joey Lane saying Merry Christmas on December 25th. His Uh first tweet then in like two weeks is basically like after a game they blew, basically saying we don't need you fans if you're not going to be with us, which is okay. Like you have to be able to take it when you lose. Like it's just – it's just part of the deal. What, what do you make of that in particular with Mark Loving? And how much of this team identity do you think comes from him as a guy who plays a lot of minutes, is relied on to be a primary scorer, is the lone senior, has played major minutes since he got here, and has been sort of at the heart of this whole weird, hard-to-read, read 
is the program in crisis or not, period, of the last couple years. Um, I'm, I always try to be a little cautious when I talk about, because I, I hate to pin the struggles of a program on one unpaid student athlete. Um, but, but <laughs> I will say this, Mark Loving has been a little different this year in the sense that he's saying the right things. Um, he didn't always seem to care on the floor and off the floor. And at least off the floor this year, he has seemed to care a little bit more. There have been two instances, and I hope this isn't too much inside baseball. There have been two instances this year where in our interviews with the media and the team, it's been Thad Mata and Mark Loving and no other players. Usually it's two or three players in Thad Mata, and twice so far it's been Loving and Mata. And I suspect that it'll be probably Loving again uh, when we talk to the team on Wednesday before they play Wisconsin. So he's like... Been out front a little bit, kind of been a team spokesman, has been saying the right things. Um, I'm kind of okay with that tweet, but the problem with Mark Loving is that he says the right things but then doesn't do them on the floor, and he's been just as much of a problem as anybody, just as much of a problem as anybody in terms of what they're doing, the things they're doing that's causing them to lose his games, like careless turnovers, bonehead passes, charges that you can see coming 10 seconds before they happen and he commits them anyway. Um if he's going to try to be this team spokesman, his play needs to change. And I don't think it has. Um, he's always been a guy who, when he gets hot, who can score a little bit. But he's not a great defender. I think he's a little slow. He had a really hard time defending uh, Amir Coffey, who's McDonald's All-American wing from Minnesota the other night. He is what he is as a player. I don't know if I've probably said that 10,000 times about Mark Loving throughout his career. Um, and I do think it's at the point now where he's a lone senior. and Maybe that's trickling down a little bit. Um, but again, it's not, I don't want to peg the struggles on the fact that they have one senior who's a little apathetic sometimes. Um, I think there are greater problems than that, but I think he could be a little more accountable, accountable on the floor. Certainly has been off of it, but hasn't quite taken up that mantle on the floor. I don't think. One thing I always think about Mark Loving is, um, when Dan Dockich does an Ohio state game, the, the announcer, I think Dockich and Thad Mata are, are pals. Mm-hmm. So I always, whatever Dockich says, I take as this is exactly what Thad Mata told Dan Dockich before the game. And I always feel like Dan Dockich through the years has said things about like, they need more from Mark Loving. They need it. Like it does it feel like yeah. he's one of those guys. I mean, this is, it didn't really come down to this, but in that recruiting class, there were two, maybe there were more, but there were at least two really good kids from Toledo. Ohio State got Mark Loving committed, and he was Mr. Basketball. Got him committed like as a freshman, I think. Mm-hmm. And the other guy, they got in very late on and too late on. One of them was Mark Loving. The other one was Nigel Hayes. And players are products of their environment to some degree. Obviously, players can also shape their environment to a large degree. But I think about that a lot. of like, what if Ohio State got Nigel Hayes and didn't get Mark Loving? Just the way Nigel Hayes goes about his business and carries himself. Also, they're completely different players. Nigel Hayes is more of an inside guy who's going to get some rebounds and play like an aggressive style. He's like Jay Sean Tate with five more inches. Yeah. Um, but also, Nigel Hayes just – you've seen it all. You guys have seen him on Twitter, and he's funny, but I think he's also a leader. And, he, you know, that that's 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 a real thing. And that never – it wasn't a trade. It wasn't an either-or. But they're just two guys from the same town. Like I just feel like 
man, if Nigel Hayes would have been here for four years, it might have changed the whole course of Ohio State basketball when you have a really good player on the court who has a strong personality. Yeah, I guess I agree with that. But it's not like – and I don't want to call Mark Loving a rec- – like you recruited Mr. Basketball in your own state. I don't know if you can call that a recruiting miss. No. Because the guy didn't pan out. Because he's – and he has played a lot. And he has scored a lot of points point and scorer, played a lot. Yeah. And there are people now who complain that Ohio State doesn't get Ohio Mr. Basketball. They're not getting the best guys in the state. So, no, I would never want to say that I thought he was a miss. I, would, I wouldn't call Mark Loving that, no. I do agree, though, that – and Mark Loving is just one example that he hasn't – Thad has not recruited enough of the Nigel Hayes type. And I think the, the closest thing Ohio State has is Jay Sean Tate. And those guys are similar, I think, Tate and Hayes. Um, they play kind of similarly. They act, carry themselves similar, similarly. But then it's Tate, and then there's a drop-off on this team. with And Trevor Thompson's ramped it up a little bit this year, I think, and it has played better, too, to back it up. Um, but outside of those two, we just don't get the sense that there's a guy who you just know, you know, maybe he's not going to fill up the stat sheet, but he's going to come and he's going to he's going to try every night. And Jay Sean Tate is definitely that guy. And then after him, there's there's not much in terms of consistent effort and energy on this team. So there's uh, Ari Wasserman and I always have a debate over this. Um, and maybe maybe I have a wrong read on this. I think maybe there were a few people who were sick of this guy just because he was around so much. Not sick. Sick of him is not the right word. But we're just like kind of over him a little bit by the end of his Ohio State career. And other people loved him. Many people, I think, loved him for every single second he was on the court from his freshman year to his senior year. And it's not like he was an under-the-radar guy. But some, the last couple of years, I've watched this team and I've thought they would kill for Aaron Kraft. Like Aaron Kraft was the guy who wrote a story about him his senior year who made everybody come and like get together and have like a little um, like huddle after every breakage in play. And you thought like, God, this guy is like almost like over the top with his team enthusiasm and stuff. And, you know, he dives. How many times a game does he? But it just, you took it for granted, I think, by the end of his senior year maybe. And, and the end of Aaron Kraft's career wasn't perfect. But like, you know. The end of Aaron Kraft's career was like they they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament and an upset yeah. to a team that like went to the Elite Eight to a Dayton team that had a great run, and they had like they blew they blew a game in the Elite Eight that like should have sent them to the Final Four and like those were quote failures back then. But they don't have a guy like you said, Jay Sean Tate, and we've all talked about Jay Sean Tate since he got here. He's that next guy, right? Mm-hmm. But they just could they could use a couple more. And here's here's the point I want to get to. I feel like there's a certain way that Thad Mata wants to play, wants his team to act, wants his team to be. And I feel like for the last two years, they haven't been that team. Maybe the last three years. And it's odd to me because he puts the team together. He recruits these guys. And then it seems like they don't play the way he would want them to play. And I can't wrap my head around that. How can he – it's not like a general manager is giving him players that he wouldn't pick. And it's not that they're not good players. They are. But the overall vibe of the team – I think, to me, feels like it's a long way from the Thad Mata ideal vibe, and I don't know how that happened or how they got to this point. Yeah, and I don't even know, because I think an easy way for that to happen is like, and I guess this did happen in the sense they were they were chasing some guys 
they probably shouldn't have been chasing, right? Some five-star <laughs> McDonald's All-American guys who the guy got caught up in and never got, and then were left like with to, to scrap and get some guys that right. maybe they didn't want. For it, you end up going getting in late on Nigel Hayes because you're busy recruiting national guys right. that you end up losing out to Duke or Kansas or UCLA or Kentucky on, and then all of a sudden, by the time you get back to the kid in your home state, it's too late. It's too late, and that happens. I don't think that would ever happen in football, or it'd be rare that that would happen in football, but it's very easy for that to happen in basketball. Um, but I don't think that's been the case over the last, like, two years. In recruiting, you mean? In recruiting. It's just, like, I don't know. Well, like, he, does he like, like, he likes Micah Potter, right? I think he likes Micah Potter a lot. I think, I think there's a lot of Aaron Kraft in Micah Potter. And I think he likes Funderburk. Funderburk's not playing right now, but I think he really likes what Funderburk can be. Well, that's, and this is part of the thing I don't understand with, like, Ohio State is not competing for a national championship this year. And is nowhere near being able to compete for a national championship. I don't know why Derek Funderburk is redshirting. Um, you could argue that he has the most raw talent of anyone they brought in in this most recent recruiting class. He was the only top hundred player in the class. I think maybe Micah Potter was too, but Funderburk was like borderline top fifty at one point. And he's raw, and you don't quite know what position he is. Um, but he's just kind of a six foot nine freak athlete who I think if you put him out there, he might do some things that make you scratch your head and some things that make you go whoa. That guy's really good. Um, I don't know. I don't know why he's in the mode where Derek Funderburg has to redshirt, and if it's because there's a lot of guys who play that position, I think you got to be willing to shake things up a little bit when you've been stuck in a rut for some time and the program's not quite going in the direction you want it to. If you like Derek Funderburg as a guy who listens and does what you want him to do in practice, he should be playing. And I get the vibe from Thad that Funderburg is a little bit of that. Like he wants to be at Ohio State, which is something they've been hammering since that. 2015 recruiting class all transferred. They want guys who want to be at Ohio State. Funderburk was committed for a long time. Likes Ohio State a lot. Has been around the program for a while. Um, has sort of the buy-in, I think, that Thad Mata's looking for, and yet he's not playing, and I don't understand that. I think if, that, if there's a guy like that on your roster, and that's what you're tr- striving to get, that guy needs to be on the floor in some capacity. Especially now that Kata Bates the up is injured. Um, yeah, that's an interesting... You would think that might cause you to push the envelope. But it did. Like, he didn't... And I... I was not in Minnesota, so I didn't get the chance to ask that about it. I plan on asking him this unless someone beats me to the punch. If he plans on taking the red shirt off Funderburg, and if he doesn't, I just I don't I don't understand it. Um, I think there have been some there's some guys on the roster who aren't from Ohio, and that's not to say you need Ohio guys to be successful, but I think there's something to be said for growing up around Ohio State and loving the program. And there's some younger guys on the team who fit that bill who aren't playing a lot. And if you're not competing for championships, you might as well play those guys and see what you have. Um, I want to look up a comparison. I can't. There's the kid, um, Derek Pardon at Northwestern. At Northwestern, yeah. Who is he? A sophomore or a junior now? I think he is a sophomore. Yeah, he's because he's supposed to redshirt last year. I have fat fingers. Okay, but that's my point. Is that they started off? He's a sophomore. They started off with the plan to redshirt him at Northwestern. Yes, and then. They played him. Yeah, because Alex Ola, who was their starting center, got hurt. And then he was pretty good. Yeah, right. He was was up and down, but he he had an awesome, like his first game, he had a double-double. It was great. And he was up and down, as you expect freshmen to be, but he played, and now he's starting, I believe. So it's one of those, I mean, I think that would be a logical thing. So that's where I want to end this. Um, You're already wearing a hat, so I was going to say put on your your coach's hat, Uh but just keep on your hat. With what you've seen with this team, what would you do 
to get them to play better? Is there a certain style of motivation that you think could be tried? Is there certain rotations? Is there an emphasis in um, how they play defense or what they do on offense that you think they could change something up? What can they do to be better? Or is the only answer keep doing what they're doing and hope they start winning some of these games? I think there's a lot. I think defensively they're pretty good and, and have been decent for most of the season. And even last year they were in a bad defensive team. So I think they're okay there. I think from what we've seen through now, they play 16 games this year. Ohio State seems to be at its best when it's running, um, kind of getting up and down. And it was funny. I asked Chris Gent, like right after they played UCLA, about like the style that UCL, UCLA plays. And they play like kind of like the Warriors because they have everyone on the floor can shoot threes. And Ohio State's not that, but UCLA plays at a pretty rampant pace. Um, and they sacrifice a little bit of defense because of that, but they're just up and down the floor, a lot of shots, a lot of possessions. Um, they don't hold on to the ball. Everything's quick in the shot clock. And it's a fun brand of basketball, and it's exciting. And I think it helps keep guys engaged. And I think it helps you overcome any kind of offensive deficiencies you might have if you're just trying to run and get easy baskets. Um, Ohio State, I think, has some deficiencies offensively when they're in the half court. They just look a little bit lost for whatever reason, whether it's Jaquan Lyle not quite being the kind of run-the-show point guard you want. Um them not quite understanding the sets that Chris Jen has put in. I don't know what it is, but they look very uncomfortable at times running half-court offense. And for the most part, when they've been running and getting out in transition, they've looked pretty good. So I would try to, I guess, maybe tweak some things defensively that allow you to be a more transition offense team. And I think if they can do that, maybe they'll win some games um, that they shouldn't win or win some of those games against bigger team or the better teams in the Big Ten. Um, at the very least be a more exciting team to watch. I think that's important too. I think there are a lot of fans who are tired of watching this style of basketball that hasn't worked for the last few years. And if they can change up their identity a little bit, I think that might help. Are they losing the fans a little bit? Yes, I think so. Is that place dead? It's been dead all year. And it's weird because they've had like the way they do the student tickets is like the students were in there for Providence and UConn and that was it. And they haven't been in there for a big 10 game yet because they weren't back on campus when they played Purdue the other night. So, and not having the students sucks a lot of the air out of the building, but it's been dead. It's been really dead. Um, and I think, like, Ohio State is definitely a team that feeds off the crowd, good or bad. Like, they do a good job, I think, of feeding off it on the road sometimes, and sometimes it, it, it wears them down. But if they got into a building at Value City Arena that was a little electric, I think that might help them, but it's just hard. They don't play a very exciting brand of basketball. They don't have a superstar. They don't have a superstar to get behind. It's been a lot of the same for the last few years, and I think I think there's a, I think they're losing the, the fans a little bit, yeah. And that's one of those things where that actually matters when it comes down to like head coaching decisions and that kind of thing. I think ads and uh, school presidents and donors uh, don't like looking around at a half empty building that has no juice. And well, part so, of it's not even like. I think it's 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 a college basketball arena that holds almost twenty thousand people, which is a misstep that we can have another podcast about. Um, it's never going to be filled to the rafters, just because. I mean, if they were number one team in the country, maybe, but it's not even about that. It's like they've had crowds of eight thousand, nine thousand, ten thousand, maybe twelve thousand. There's just no energy in the building. Yeah, and part of that student's not being there, and part of that is just not. You got to play a style of basketball that that brings that out of people, and it's not happening. And it's hard, even when it's going well, it's hard in that building. And like you said, I mean, everybody knows uh, that that was probably a mistake um, 
there are so many good arenas in the Big Ten, and Ohio State doesn't have one of them. They have a new, modern, stale arena. Um, and I can remember, and I, I would literally do this because I'm a crazy person, but when Greg Oden and Mike Conley and that team was here, and I remember looking around at some games and like not the it wasn't filled, and I would yell like, "You don't know what you're missing. Yeah. Like, enjoy this." This does not always happen, and it still wasn't always a rock and awesome place there when you had a team that went to the national championship game and had guys who were the number one and number four picks in the draft. So they are fighting an uphill battle at home to begin with, but you can easily imagine how when it gets goes wrong, it could really go wrong in that building with this fan base very quickly because the building does nothing to help you. Yeah. Okay. That was a basketball podcast. It was about basketball. It was about Ohio State basketball. If you are listening to this, um, you must make sure that you are reading cleveland.com slash OSU every day. You must be following Bill Landis on Twitter at at BillLandis25. We're going to have a lot of football stuff coming up still. Signing day is February 1st. We're going to have a lot coming with that. Uh, A lot still happening with football with coaching staff and um, guys with the NFL and when we get all the NFL decisions, we'll, we're going to start bringing you guys breakdowns of position groups and depth charts and that kind of thing. But don't forget about Ohio State basketball because this really is. It's not I, It's not crisis mode yet, but this is a critical time for Ohio State basketball. And you want to be informed and make sure that you can get your own opinion about where this program stands because this is a very important time for them. So you need to be reading Bill Landis, um, and he's going to bring you all this coverage all year. Um, so, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for reading Cleveland.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast. That was Buckeye Talk.